This week on Center City Overtime, we got a new set, some exciting news, and we spend some focused time. Pastor John cries. I don't cry all the time, but I cry on this one. So make sure you like, subscribe. Let's get it. Welcome to Center City Overtime, a weekly podcast where we take a little more time to dive into Sunday's message. And you may have noticed we are in a new location today. Absolutely. Will you talk about what we're doing here? Yeah. So we wanted to give you a little bit of a preview of what's to come as yeah. we take the podcast pseudo live, I, I, I guess, in front of a live studio audience. We made the announcement several weeks ago uh, on a Sunday morning, and then uh, we actually talked about it, I think, a little bit last week. But we are moving Overtime Live to Wednesday nights here on campus at Center City Church in beautiful Charlotte, North Carolina. And the hope is this room that we're currently sitting in will be filled with people and they'll get a chance to ask questions back and forth. Just add a little bit more interactivity to what we're doing and uh, have some more guests on. Introduce the podcast world to so many of the incredible people that are a part of this community in Charlotte. And our hope is... Uh, through this all, we'll uh, get a chance to really spend some time diving deeper uh, into Sunday morning with the people who are actually here Sunday morning and maybe answer some of the questions that they have. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited too. And what that means if you watch us online is that this podcast will not drop on Wednesday mornings anymore because we'll be recording it on Wednesday nights. So it'll probably drop sometime Thursday. We're going to be figuring out the rhythm, but um, but we'll get that down. And I'm really looking forward to it. The yeah, so of- this is the preview. Tell us what you think of the con- in the comments, but this is kind of the space. This is what we're kind of doing, and we're excited about it. Yeah, yeah, we are excited about it. I was talking to someone, the same someone I'm always talking to about the podcast on Sunday afternoons, and after church, she said she had listened to the message differently. She had, like, her notes ready because she was going to be able to ask questions, and I had to be the one who was like, oh, that's in one more week. <laughs> but um, but we are really excited to be able to hear from you guys. What are the things that you've just been pondering? What have you been wrestling with? Especially by the time we get to Wednesday there's been some time for the Holy Spirit to work, and it's going to be really good. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. So this week, yeah, you guys are stuck with my questions one more time. But um, we've been we wrapped up our Acts of Prayer series, and before we get into the like actual content of the messages, I think one of the most powerful things from the series has been the people who shared from their own lives what their prayer life looks like, what some of their struggles have been. And so I thought I would ask both you, Pastor John, and Pastor Emma in the producer's booth, what are what are a couple of the things that stick out that people have shared from their own lives over the last four weeks? Um, I, I think one of the things that I keep hearing is the more and more we introduce so many of our incredible um our incredible just family members to the congregation as a whole, um, the more and more people I think are just challenged by the idea of community and inspired to be more connected, Um, specifically our seasoned saints, because they don't always kind of, I don't know, get the shine in 2024. Like Mm -hmm. we're quick to like, uh, we, we, I don't know, we have a tendency of like celebrating youth quite a bit and I'm all about it. Um, I'm all about the church and how we're moving forward. But in the same breath, uh, I do think that when we, we've spent some time intentionally making sure that there's a diversity in the people that we're putting up there. And I think that that's not only been challenging, um, but I think it's been inspirational for a lot of people to see, like, this is a saint that's been in the game for, for 40 plus years. And they're still saying things like, it's a challenge to be consistent in my prayer walk. 
Um, and I think that that was powerful. Yeah, yeah. I was even talking to someone who was like, I'm glad that you're not only asking young people because when it comes to prayer life, the people I want to hear from are the ones who have been through Absolutely. the life stage that I'm in, the ones who have really been tried and tested. Not that not that we don't have something to offer if we're young, but there's also something to hearing from that person who has been on their knees in prayer year after year through some really hard stuff and um, and just grown in their relationship with the Lord. What about you, Pastor Emma? Uh, Ashley's dad changed my life. Oh, wow. <laughs> I Mine too, he, but differently. <laughs> well, he gave you life. Um I, your dad stood up there and I looked at my friend that was with me and I was like, why does he remind me so much of Bob Goff right now? Like, I don't know if anybody is familiar with Bob Goff or anything, but just like the, his like candor, I don't know. He was just, his presence was really sweet. So I love that about your dad. But, um, I don't he know. He just Bob Goff. Yeah. He gives me that vibe. Honestly, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if he was best friends with Bob Goff. Um, but just how simple, I mean, obviously it wasn't simple at all, but just how approachable your dad made prayer out to everybody in the room. Um, I was really hoping there were some high schoolers and middle schoolers in the room to hear um, hear that from him. So I loved that. It challenged me in my own prayer. Um, and then the whole add two minutes that you guys challenged everybody with yesterday, at least in first service, um, adding two extra minutes. I took that personally this morning. So I've, I've enjoyed it. I, lo- I love practicals. I love like words yeah. and all that stuff, but... If you, if you can't tell me how to practically do something, I'm not going to do it. So I love when we talk about supernatural, but when you match that with the practical, I love. Yeah, yeah. I, I think one of my big takeaways from your dad's session was that idea of holy appointments. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't normally pray in the car, um, but this morning, I don't know what it was. I turned my phone off. I took my AirPods out. And um, it was funny because it happened because I jumped on 85. And for all of my commuters in the house... Um, there are times where you jump on 85 and it's just you and Jesus. And then there's times <laughs> where you jump on 85 and it's you, Jesus, and all of his creation at the same time. And that was one of these mornings. And um, I just I just had this gut reaction to seeing so many brake lights that I was frustrated. I was like, oh, I'm going to be late. And the minute I thought that, I heard your dad in, the, uh, in my head saying, holy appointment. And um, took my AirPods off, just committed to not turning the radio on. And just like, all right. If you want me, here I am, and had this phenomenal conversation with the Lord in the car uh, to Emma's point because of a practical thought that your dad gave. Like every time we sit down to pray, it's a holy appointment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I thought I, I have been blessed through this these moments before. What about you? Yeah, I think it was more a theme that started the very first week when I talked to your mom, but I, I think every single person referenced it in some way that no one has the prayer life they want to have. Like everyone wants to go deeper, whether wherever they are in their prayer life, there's always this like struggle, but then that reality that don't let, don't let that twist into shame and stop you from coming to the Lord, but just like keep going in the struggle, turn to God at any time. Um, it would, it was just so real, like for week after week, people to say, well, I wish my prayer life was even deeper than it is. It, it was just, I don't know. It gave me encouragement to also feel that way and keep growing in that, but not feel ashamed that it's it's not there. Because hopefully the longer we live, the more we want our prayer life to grow, that that never changes. Um, Amanda had a phrase, and I'm trying to remember the phrase that she used, but it was so powerful, just along the lines of, 
you know, for so many of us, prayer is this obligation. Mm-hmm. And she said that, um, it's not, I'm going to jack this up, but it was like, for, for, for God, prayer is not an obligation, but a desire. Mm-hmm. And it just flipped something, not just in my head, but I'm sure in so many people in the room, that God desires conversation. He yeah. desires moments where we can sit in relationship with him. And when we look at prayer at that, at that place, we understand that sometimes life gets busy and we got to switch things up. But as long as we keep coming back, as long as we keep coming back, as long as we know um, that he's there and he's waiting and there's an expectation uh, for real relationship. Mm -hmm. And um, I think we heard that from Amanda. We heard that from Bob. We heard that from my mom, of course. And we heard that from Jemima this Sunday. And I think that's powerful. Yeah, I agree. And um, and I love how even as we've heard from people in our church family, I used to use the word congregation a couple of weeks ago. That became like a running joke that my family still runs with. But um, congregation, church family, it's also helped as we've read through the book of Acts to realize that these people were real people like us who didn't know how God was going to answer their prayers and were just doing their best to listen to God and honor him. And I love that we ended this series on Ananias this week because... I would imagine a lot of you guys out there listening, if you weren't here on Sunday or didn't hear the message, like, who is Ananias? Yeah. Because when you think of the book of Acts, you think of Paul. Like, so much of the book of Acts is the story of Paul. And um, and yet what you did was kind of back up and say none of this would have happened. I mean, God is sovereign without the obedience of Ananias. So I want to I spend some time kind of diving into his story a little bit more. And, um, and the first thing that you, you kind of brought up that is simple but striking is that when the Lord called to Ananias, he was listening and he was ready to hear from him. Like we talked about how he said, yes, Lord. But I think even before that, how often is God maybe like trying to get our attention and not using the methods he used for Saul where he like, you know, made him blind and fall off a donkey and all of that. But Ananias was just hearing and ready to listen when God spoke to him. And so I know you talked about it a little bit in the message, but I think my question is for so many of us in such a busy, distracting world, how do we position ourselves to be able to hear when God calls to us? So there's a story in the New Test, uh, in the Old Testament about a young man who is uh, dedicated to the Lord and sent to service with a priest. And he's learning how to be a priest. And um, the scripture says that in those days, the voice of God had stopped. Um and it wasn't that God wasn't speaking, it's that people had forgotten how to listen. Uh, and I think that's critical for where we are today. That's, that's the picture that I, there are a, a, a contingent of people who are still listening, but by far as a community, as a culture, we have forgotten. We, we don't know how to stretch that muscle at all. So God begins to speak to this young boy um, and the way that he speaks is at night in a dream um, and he begins to speak, and this boy hears his voice, and so he goes to his his um, he goes to his priest, the guy who's training him. He's like, "What is this?" And his response is, and I'm really trying to summarize a long passage, but his response is, "Go back to sleep. Go back to your room. When you hear the voice next time, say, um, here am I. Speak, Lord, your servant's ready.'" Mm-hmm. Um, in that phrase, I believe we see a methodology by which we can train our ears to listen again. Here am I speaks to availability. That means if you're not 
preparing in with time. Like if there's not in, intentional time being spent listening to God, there's no way you're going to learn how to hear from him. And it starts off mad awkward, right? Like to get back to Emma's practicality, how many times in our prayer life are we waiting? And that just feels weird because we don't wait for anything in 2024. Mm -hmm. Like we go from, I'm trying this thing to, okay, I just got to move on to the next thing. Cause if we can't understand uh, or hear God's voice, there are 15 million voices on YouTube slash TikTok slash Snapchat waiting to tell us what they want us to hear. So here am I speaks to an availability. Um, and then speak Lord is this idea that, okay, if this is you, we want you to speak. It's that, it's that I am going to do the work of processing what I'm hearing and seeing. Um, I do think that there is a danger here because people sometimes want to hear God's voice, but are not willing to do the work necessary to process what he's saying. Yeah. Or sometimes I just want God to hear my voice and then I just feel like I'm not ready for what you have to offer me. So maybe don't speak today. Just in my full humanity. That's not what I usually say to God, but sometimes that's how I feel. Yeah. So when God does speak, it does require a moment of, of being able. We always talk about the spontaneity of um, the Holy Spirit. And we love that idea. The spontaneity of the Holy Spirit. The spontaneity of the Holy Spirit. But I've just learned that the spontaneity of the Holy Spirit often is in direct reflection to how well you've prepared for that moment. Mm -hmm. um, I believe the same could be said of the voice of God in your life. That there's times where he's speaking. But you have to do the work that's necessary. Is this God? Does this line up with his word? Mm -hmm. um, is this just bad pizza? Um, sometimes that work is being able to stretch out and do that thing that he's asked you to do to test. I mean, scripture is filled with that idea of like bringing that word to elders and allowing those around you to help process what God is saying. So that work, a lot of people are intimidated, intimidated by. So, um, you know, here am I speaks to availability, speak Lord speaks to my desire. I'm going to do the work that's necessary to process what I'm hearing. And then ultimately could that commitment to go, I'm going to do what it is that you're calling me to do. I am your servant. So I think that's how we learn how to hear from God. We spend the time, we do the work that's necessary, commit to the work that's necessary for interpreting that word. And then ultimately we're obedient to what we believe God is saying. Yeah. I, um, remember during COVID, like early on COVID, when we weren't here in the office, we weren't having church on Sundays, we would hop on these Zoom calls pretty regularly just to kind of check in as a team. And you and I would do Zoom or FaceTime, whatever it was at the time, a lot. And you talked about how you at that time were trying to develop a practice of waiting on the Lord. Do you remember this? Yes. Um, and it came into my mind when you were preaching on Sunday because you were literally like training yourself to add a little extra time, I don't know if it was every day or every week, will you talk a little bit about what that experience was like, both the struggle and like the reward of that practice? Yeah, so some of the, so much of that came out of this idea of be still. Um, we see that past that concept over and over in mm -hmm. Scripture, be still and see that I am God. Um, and we just don't, still is hard. Still is so hard. Um, and although I started that practice actually a little bit before the pandemic, but we're working specifically, we're in the pandemic because pandemic was challenging to mm -hmm. that weight. It was challenging for us, specifically those of us who are obsessed with activity and productivity and I want to keep doing and I want to be ahead of, and we don't know how to rest. We don't know how to wait. And any rest turns immediately into, okay, well, I need to distract and, and, um, and numb. So 
the practice that I actually learned, and I can't even remember who it was from, was to spend a certain percentage of the beginning of your prayer time in just absolute silence. Mm -hmm. Um, And basically like this young man in the Old Testament, and even Ananias, this idea of your servants hear, Lord, speak. And I wasn't trying to write anything down. There was no expectations. I keep a prayer journal that I run. Um, but even that, like, that was put to the side. Um, and at, for a season, I was doing the first 15 minutes of my morning devotional process was spent on a chair. And uh, it was super challenging. It has helped me. I can sit and still now. I'm better at it than I've ever been. Um, but I do think that from time to time, it's almost like fasting. I think I need to go back and kind of stretch that muscle a little bit. Yeah. So how do you, and, um, pastor Emma, feel free to jump in. Cause I feel like we've talked about this sometimes, uh, just in relationship conversations. How do you navigate? Like when you're sitting still trying to hear from the Lord, that's the time that everything pops into your head of like, Oh, I need to make sure I remember to do this. Oh, did I make sure to check this? What am I going to make for dinner tonight? Like, I feel like there's, it's easy to sit and look like you're doing nothing, but to actually like quiet your mind can be a real challenge when you first start. So how do either of you in this situation kind of handle those thoughts that tend to come up the moment that it's like, I'm going to sit down and listen for the voice of God, but also my brain's going to throw every random thought that I've ever had into me. Um, for me, it is taking capture every thought. And it's a matter of training. I mean, there's no way around it. Our brains go a million miles a, miles a minute. Um, I try to, this sounds probably a little weird, but this is, a, I try to hear, uh, like focus in on a random sound in the room. Sometimes it's an air conditioner. Sometimes it's traffic. Um, I had tend to live on a busy street. Sometimes it's just a natural hum of a room. Um, and I try to put my mind on that thing. Um, but again, that's, I don't know how else to explain it except you have to capture every thought in the moment. It's, oh, I got a, I got that meaning tonight. Father, I subject this thought to your will. Mm-hmm. And it is tough. Now, I don't even, I don't physically say that, but that's what's processing through my head. Um, it's like ignoring the check engine light. What do you think, Emma? Um Ooh, that was off. Um, I think for me, I have to be in a place where like my distractions are limited. So if like I'm in my house and I see the dishes in the kitchen are like dirty and like um, I can see every single hair on my couch that I need to vacuum or something like that, like I think I can get really distracted by what's around me. So when I was working, one of my rhythms was to wake up in the morning and sit outside, like when it wasn't, you know, negative 30 degrees outside. Um, being outside really helps me because I, I think like the practicals of like I submit this thought to you and I've definitely done that before but I think I also it has so much to do with like where I'm at that's why I love car prayers because I can really just find myself being quiet in that space but when I'm really trying to be silent because I remember the season where you were telling all of us that you were spending 15 minutes like alone uh, or not alone but 15 minutes of silence before you started your prayer time I tried to copy and I would just sit outside and just be kind of quiet. I think one of the things for me where you're like thinking about what's coming up next is sometimes I can try to answer my own prayers and I'm like trying to figure it out for myself and I have to be like, 
instead of saying, Lord, I submit, you know, this random to do, I have to be like, Lord, I'm sorry for trying to answer this for you and trying to like speed up the process. So I like to be outside. I like to be where I can kind of just focus in on something and kind of be relaxed and then also have to kind of catch myself sometimes. I mean, I keep saying it's like muscle, like training a muscle Mm -hmm. because it's not easy and it does take time. It's so much harder than it sounds like it sounds silly to spend this much time talking about how do you actually be still in the presence of God. But I think to your point, it's a muscle that we don't ever flex in our culture today. It has to be so intentional and it feels so uncomfortable. Like we had to do this actually as a practice in several of my seminary classes and the professors would literally be like, start with five minutes, like start with five minutes and work your way up because yeah, you're going to be shocked at how hard five minutes is. I had to start at five minutes uh-huh. and actually I started at less. I started, it was like two minute inter- incremental, you know, two minutes wasn't tough, but five was mm-hmm. the first kind of big barrier. Um, and again, I, I want to make sure that I'm really clear. I am still not spending 15 minutes every morning in adjunct silence. Um, but I, I, that was a great season for teaching me how to be still. And there are times still where I'm like, okay, my mind is moving a mile a minute. I can't even look at this prayer list. Let me just subject my, this moment mm-hmm. to the silence and, and wait on God. Yeah, I love that. Um, so we, we see that Ananias, I mean, we don't know what his practice was, but he's available and here's when the Lord speaks to him. And then the Lord asks him to do something that I am sure in his mind, which is like, there's no way that's the voice of the Lord, because this is like, this is the opposite of what I would think God would say, because he basically says to him, there's this guy, Saul, and I have spoken to him. He's blind. He is praying right now. And he knows this person named Ananias is going to come. And I don't know if in that moment or if it's later that God reveals like, and lay your hands on him and, um, and he will be able to see. But Saul was known, like Saul was famous for persecuting the church. He was present when Stephen was stoned to death. He was the one that everyone laid their coats by because he was probably just cheering them on. Like he was dragging men and women out of their homes who were known for following Jesus to see them persecuted. And so I just love the realness of Ananias and his response to God is he's basically like, are you sure? (laughs) We talking about the same guy here. (laughs) You sure? Yeah. um, That's our translation of the scripture, but that's basically what he says. Like, is this the same Saul? Like, are we're really talking about the same guy? Like, don't you know what he said? Don't you know what he's threatened? Don't you know that if I do this, I am putting my life on the line and that can't possibly be what you want for your kingdom, God. And, um, and I think the thing that is so just refreshing about Ananias is he says it to the Lord. And I think so often we feel like, how can, how can you do that? Like, isn't that disrespectful? Is it not honoring God? What would, what would you say about what this shows us about God that Ananias felt free to do this? I think it, it speaks um, volumes about us. What I mean by that is um, we think that somehow the creator of the universe doesn't understand fully our mindset. Mm-hmm. We think that the God who weaved us together and knows all things somehow doesn't know what's in the back of your mind. And I love Ananias just being incredibly raw. It's the reason I picked this passage because I do think um, I, I think it's the lesson we need to learn today is, is how to be authentic in all things, but specifically your prayer life. 
Um, and then, so there's this passage in Philippians that speaks about how in all things, like in, in, in our anxiety, in all things that we should pray and present our needs before the Lord. And then at the end of the passage, it communicates this idea that at the end of your authenticity, when you communicate all these things to the Lord, the peace of God that we can't understand, it's a, it uses the phrase uh, that, that we, you know, that idea that we can't understand, the peace of God that we can't understand, that passes all understanding, will guard your heart and mind. So it's our authenticity at the end of our authenticity when we are able to say, God, but I don't understand this. And God, he's, he's, he's throwing down these murderous threats. It's at the end of our authenticity that we find the remedy for our anxiety. There, there's peace there when we learn how to be real with God. Um, and I think that speaks so much to, again, uh, Amanda's little phrase there, it's God's desire that we would be blessed and God's desire that we would sit in communication and relationship with him. So, of course, at the at the end of our authenticity, when we're completely honest with the Lord and we're laying these things out before him, of course, the reward for that time, the, the product of that time is a peace that passes all understanding, a peace that's beyond what we can grasp that guards both our heart and mind. And we find the end for our anxiety and those things we worry about when we're just honest with God. Mm -hmm. So I think Ananias showcased the type of prayer that changes the world because it, it, the, the world that is first changed is you. It, it removes that fear. It removes that anxiety. And, and not that those things, you know, not that Ananias was like, oh, okay, let me just go do this thing mindlessly. But he heard from God and that was enough for him to be obedient. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's getting ahead a little bit. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, that's okay. I think, too, to see that God doesn't condemn him, God doesn't come back and say, how dare you question me? Yeah. I mean, he does come back firmly, and he's like, no, I do want you to do this. But there is a part of us that I think sometimes feels like God's going to get angry with us if we tell him how we really feel, even though he already knows how we really feel. And Ananias gives us that example of, like, no, God, God was pleased with Ananias. I mean, he did go off in obedience, even though he voiced his concerns. So... My question for both of you is um, just getting personal. Have you ever had a breakthrough like this where you realized there was something that you weren't being authentic about in prayer and then like that release of coming to God with it? I know that's getting real deep and it's on the internet so you don't have to share if you don't want to. But um, anyone? <laughs> <laughs> Pastor Emma, put the camera on you real quick. I want everybody to see your face real quick. <laughs> Um, I, I will tell you, um, there was a season um, between, I'm sorry, all my stories are ministry related, so I apologize if this is, um, if you can't relate. You've been in ministry a long time. Yeah. But there was a season between youth ministry um, that I became what they call the district youth director. Um, and then I got fired. Rick Ross fired me. Um, just kidding. <laughs> um, but we just knew that that, that wasn't a, a long-term solution. So I was no longer a youth pastor. I was an executive pastor. Um, and I went from preaching three or four times a week to not preaching at all. And uh, man, I, I had a season where I was like it, like it, I was shaking. You said it yesterday. Um, in, tw in, in our current day culture, we are known by what we do versus being known by who we eat with, which I cannot wait to explore that concept more in the next couple of weeks. Um, so 
we are known more by what we do, not who we're around, right? Um, and I was known really like that felt like that was my identity and I put up this front like it wasn't affecting me now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had people who were like, John, we got to get you preaching. We got to figure out how to solve this dilemma of you not preaching. And I put up a strong face cause I knew what was right. What I knew was that's not who I am. So I like, I knew all the right things to say, but there was a, a buildup of anxiety in me. That's like, I, I don't know. I don't know who I am without this thing. Like this is what I do. Um, and I remember bringing it to the Lord and saying, I, I don't know what you're doing, but you better be doing something because I don't like I don't I don't know what to do with my hands even mm-hmm. like to the point that and this sounds probably dramatic and I don't mean it to be I like physically I was changed. I, I didn't know what to do. And um, we were seeing a lot of growth in different areas and everything I put my hands to seemed to be growing and doing well. But I just wasn't using this gift that I've been using for years and I remember the day I brought it to the Lord. And um, again, I knew that it was, I knew that at its core, I just need, it needed a change because it wasn't the right thought. But the phrase, the way that the Lord spoke to me so clearly, and, and, and he, he said, um, do you love me even if I take this? And um, trying to get, not get emotional. Of course, the answer was yes. Uh, I just needed my spirit to remind my body and mind uh, that when I, when I was 17 and no one knew me, he, uh, his love was never in question, but he asked me if I loved him, and I said yes. Mm-hmm. And at 44 at that point, or actually I was in my 30s, um, you were like fresh 40. Yeah, I was probably fresh 40. Fresh 40. Um, <laughs> the answer was still yes. And I just needed to be, I just needed to remind myself. So it broke in me. Within three to four months, the balls began to spin and things were changing. And of course, I would return to that gifting. Um, but I think it was a season where he was just making sure I knew. Um, and I did. Like, it, it, again, this, it was a, a, a loving rebuke, but it was exactly what I needed. And it really did turn. Yeah. God, Leah, didn't know it was going to be so emotional. Emma, you want to start crying on the podcast? <laughs> no, I mean, I was going to start crying. I just remember that season of your life. I remember the scribe season. That's what we called it. Yeah. Or you called it. And. I just went along with it because, I mean, you were my youth pastor, so I was in my own morning stage, a little bit preteen. I wasn't a preteen, pre like adult anguish. Um, no, mine's stupid. Um, I <laughs> I was like freshly say I don't even, I don't even know if this like story applies. I don't I don't know. I think um, so much of my like prayer time with the Lord, and because I'm a big like thought person, like I can really get into my head. I said it earlier, like sometimes I can play the voice of God for myself. And one of the big things I'm walking through with the Lord, just like candidly right now, is saying, Is that my voice or is that your voice? And like really having to not only teach myself, you have to spend time in the Word so you know, like it's, it. We're really big in youth ministry and even in my own life, is if I. If I think God's speaking something, I have to go back to scripture because this word doesn't contradict, like if he's saying it. So I didn't know that at 18 years old. And I had somebody say something to me um, 
about what they thought for my life. Um, they thought that I was going to marry them. It wasn't Joey. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. And I was about six months saved, and I just took that as gospel truth. I'm, I'm really not sure if the story fully applies, and sometimes the story makes me feel really silly. Um, and, and I feel bad just for everybody involved in the situation just because that's a really like tough place to be. But because I thought that that's what God said to me, I took it. And I remember thinking like, well, you know, God, you know, God speaks all the time. God does crazy things. So maybe this is just what it is for me. And I should have known I did not handle it the way you handled it. I actually cut off all community and I stopped going to prayer. That was like my number one sign when like something is off in my life and I'm not being authentic to the Lord is I just don't talk to him at all. And I don't talk to the people who are talking to him. So I don't think I talked to you for like a few months. I don't even think you knew this was going on. Actually, I was deeply afraid you were going to find out because I was working for, I was volunteering for Christian, um, the youth pastor that John used to work for, or work, he worked under John. And I remember Christian one time caught me holding hands with this boy. And I went home and I was like, oh my God, he's going to call John. And that is how I knew that that wasn't of God. So I don't think this is lining up at all, but I remember. What did it look like um, when you started to realize that and kind of like yeah. reopen that line of communication? It with was God? when um, I had somebody from home reach out and I couldn't even tell her anything about my life because I knew, because I was so ashamed of it, because I knew that this thing was going on that I hadn't told people from home about. So I went to, I was babysitting one of our pastor's cats. I was living in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and... Some people call that cat sitting. <laughs> it's cat sitting. <laughs> but their cat name was their cat's name was Emma, so it was really sweet. So I went and babysat this cat and I remember thinking, Lord, if you're anywhere, I guess you're in this person's house. Like because these these people love the Lord so much. And I remember finally going to him about it and being like, Did you say this or was this me? Like, did you say this thing or was this cold pizza? When we say cold pizza, we really mean like, or am I just making this up? Did I just eat something funky? did you really say I'm supposed to marry this person at the ripe age of 19 or, or is this just, is this, is this a mess? I remember so clearly just what pacing that house and finally being still and finally being quiet enough to hear the Lord say, Emma, sometimes you think I say things that I don't. And it was cool how he did it because I was in the kind of like super charismatic scene and where people would drop Bibles and open them up and like look for a verse. Um, and I remember before the Lord spoke that really cool thing to me, he told me to go look in Romans like 63 or something. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go to Romans 63. And my answer is going to be Romans 63. And Romans 63 doesn't exist. And in that moment when I went to go look for it, the Lord said, sometimes you, you think I say things that I don't say. So that's how I figured out that Romans 63 doesn't exist. And I also wasn't supposed to marry somebody. <laughs> it's a very that's long great. story. Yeah. I think that's a great, a great example um, when I think about my own life, the time this is most clear to me actually has to do with temptation. Like there was a season in my life where there was just a behavior that I was repeating that I didn't like about myself. Like, you know, just one of those things that I'm like, this doesn't honor God. This is silly. Like this isn't who I want to be. So I'm going to work really hard to change that. And I really did like, and it was out of a desire to honor God, like was really like trying to change this pattern in my life. And then I remember that moment just sitting at my dining room table. I, I used to work nights, so I would get home and my roommates would all be in bed and it would be like 930 and I was microwaving a meal and um, just realizing God knows every time that I 
am tempted to speak this way or tempted to to engage in this. So why don't I just talk to him about it in that moment? And it was like this freedom. And in that particular behavior, there was never another time that I struggled with that from that moment at my dining room table, which is not always the way that God works um, in the process of refining us and transforming us. But it was just this like, why am I working so hard on this and not bringing God into this when he knows that even though this thought or this thing that I want to say doesn't honor him, um, I'm struggling with it. And he can, he can be involved in that moment and help me in that temptation. And then it really was not something that was tempting ever again. So it was just like this cool... Of course he's in this, but I, I had to actually like work through and get to the point to invite him into that and be authentic and be like, God, I'm really struggling, and I don't like this about myself, and I need your help. Um, and that's all it took. That's good stuff. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, so I think it's the couches. I think being on the couches <laughs> makes us like, let's talk more personally. Um, but I do, just to keep it moving, the thing that we see in Ananias is after all of this, after coming back, um, God doesn't answer his question. You said this almost as an aside on Sunday, and I was like, this is mind-blowing. And I, I guess just I want you to talk a little bit more about that because I don't even have a fully formulated yeah. question on it. But, like, so Ananias hears from the Lord. He questions the Lord. And then the Lord does not tell him, oh, it'll all be fine. Like, no. I'm going to work this out <laughs> for you, even though he does. Like, and yeah. um, he doesn't give him the answer that he's seeking <laughs> So just just talk about that a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is why I love overtime. I made a statement Sunday, I think in the second service, um, and I, you can tell it was challenging. There's times when I make a statement, and everybody's like, oh, yeah, that's good, Pastor, because it's like they've thought through it, and it's like exciting, and it's inspirational, whatever. And then there's times when I make a statement, and the crowd goes flat. Because you know it was one of those. Got pierced. Yeah. So the thought was, and the statement was, although God is not afraid of your questions, He's not subject to them. Mm -hmm. um, yes, He is saying, "Bring them to me." But what He does with Ananias's questions is He answers with a directive, and it's like, it's like, "But don't you know this guy and all this stuff?" And His answer was, "Go." Well, you didn't answer my question. Yeah, because I'm not subject to answer your question. Um, you're going to find, I believe, you will find the answer for what your heart longs for, for that thing, uh, on the other side of your obedience. Uh, often, we're asking questions we don't even know. Like, we're, we're asking questions that we're not sure about. I can't, I can't imagine, again, um, I don't think it's a silly story. I think for a lot of people, when trying to discern what God is saying, whether it's this is the guy I'm supposed to marry or whether or not I should even be in a relationship with somebody. There are moments where what our expectation is, is God is going to sit there and just give us the answer when often what he does on the other side of our question is give us a directive. Mm -hmm. Right. So Ananias, go. And then what's amazing is Ananias's obedience was to then say, okay, you didn't give me any assurances that I'm not going to die, but... Because I trust what you're saying, I'm going to go and do that thing. So, yeah, I, I think for so many of us, we get trapped in this idea that I can be authentic with the Lord and lay all these questions out. And then God has to answer them the way that I want him to answer them. But he's God. He's not subject to your question. Mm -hmm. He's not. 
Um, but he is loving enough that even in his directive, when it's all said and done, you'll find that God ultimately is working for the glory of the kingdom of God. And um, so many of our questions are even just wrong. And he even says, like in Romans eight twenty eight, he's working it out for his glory, but also for the good of for, those that he absolutely. calls. And I think sometimes we're afraid to say that because that sounds almost too prosperity gospel. But but there is that point in the conversation where he hears all of our anxieties and our fears and our doubts. But then, like just in the process of that converse, conversation, we remember that promise that. Yeah. He's working everything out for our good and his glory. And our good may not look the way we think. So like. that's that's it. <laughs> I, and I think that that's critical. Um, we go into our conversations with the Lord often with our preconceptions of what good is. Mm-hmm. Um, remember, to your point, so I've always loved that passage, that he is working all things out, again, for the kingdom of God and its glory, but also for the good of those who love Christ. Well, when we love Christ, that means... We are subjecting our heart to what he defines as good mm-hmm. because he's God and he's good, right? Yeah. Um, so absolutely, I think where we trip up sometimes is we hear these, I'm going to be authentic, I'm going to be authentic with the expectation that God is subject to making this work the way that I want it to work, and he's not. Yeah, He's not. And, and he expects obedience beyond our question. Mm-hmm. And that's where most people, specifically in 2024, specifically even... Um, some of my Theo bros really do struggle. The idea that I have to understand this all completely before I move in obedience. Mm-hmm. And that is not the picture we find in scripture. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good point. Um, and so what we see with Ananias is he is obedient. He goes and does this thing and he prays for Saul and Saul's, the scales fall from his eyes. And then long story short, Saul is transformed and becomes Paul who does far more for the kingdom of God than almost anyone else of his generation. Like, you know, Peter's up there. There there are some of the disciples up there. But as far as someone who didn't actually walk with Jesus when Jesus was alive walking Yeah, it's not even close. um, And we still study his word. I mean, he wrote so many books of the New Testament. And I love what you pointed out that... um, that some people can be like, oh, it's cute to say that we can change the world, but what can one person really do? And yet when you look at Ananias, like you never know who is on the other side of your obedience, that it could be that there is a Saul or a Paul. It could be that you are that Saul or a Paul, but there's always something. There's always a way to change the world for one person through sharing that gospel, through being open and obedient to what God calls you to do. So what would be your kind of like, word of encouragement, almost even like benediction as we end this series to people who can be world changers. Yeah. So from a practical place, um, I would say pray more, pray first. Um, John will pray more seems a little open-ended. Just give it, just give it two more minutes. Like pastor Emma brought up earlier, just whatever it takes, take it to the next level. Well, I've been praying for years, John. I think I got this figured out. I think there's another place. I owe, and, and it's a tension that I constantly navigate. It's a conversation I have with Ashley before we hit record. It's a conversation, uh, a tension that I always navigate because I always feel like I'm not there yet. I, mm-hmm. I, I, and I don't think I'll be there until the other side of eternity, right? So from a practical place, pray first and exercise that muscle of praying first and then pray more. And then from a little bit of a 3,000-foot inspirational kind of thought place, um, and and technically really practical, too, you have no idea how your prayers can change someone's life. Mm -hmm. I am the product, 
of someone four and five generations ago hearing the voice of God, being obedient, and leading my grandmother to the Lord. Yeah, my grandmother to the Lord. So my grandmother to my parents, to me, and now to the generation that has followed, I'm not sure that evangelist or that missionary or that random guy, <laughs> I'm not sure he knew. Um, but the impact he has had on my family tree is eternal. We get so fixated on fixing and influencing temporary things. We are obsessed with making like temporary impact. I want to get more followers. I want to get more likes. Uh, I want people to know my name. Uh, and we become enamored with that. My name is my name, John Hernandez. That's a temporary name. But the name of Jesus is eternal and everything that I do for his kingdom's sake is eternal. So I want to put my energy and effort into things that are eternal. And one of the ways I can do that is the work of prayer. Mm -hmm. Because prayer is not the thing we do before we work. Prayer is the work. And we believe that wholeheartedly. Yeah, we absolutely do. Um, Where are we going, Ashley? We're going to start a group series that is actually just going to keep going through the book of Acts. <laughs> but um, we didn't plan it that way. The Lord planned it that way. We're calling it Scattered Together and talking about what happens when the people of God are sent out, sometimes through persecution, but sometimes just because of the nature of living in a city like Charlotte, where you're all over the city, um, when we are scattered together the way that the church grows. And I am so pumped for it. Yeah, it's going to really be incredible. about it. So be here. We will be dropping this podcast next week, a day late on Thursday, not on Wednesday. But we really hope that if you're in the area, you'll join us live next Wednesday night for the recording of this and definitely join us on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11. We'll see you then.